Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Moses makes many excuses for why he doesn't think he's the right man for the job of setting the Israelites free, and God answers all of his questions. On the last episode, we talked about who God is, and on this episode, we're going to talk about who we are in him. So this is lesson four of the Exodus study. Exodus 3.16 to 4.18. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title. So if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months worth of episodes. And once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that I still don't have the full written study done and online, but I'll let y'all know whenever I do so that if you want to purchase it in order to have all of the verses and charts and keywords and all of those types of things there in writing, then you'll have it. Now, last episode, we talked about how God has seen the oppression of his people in Egypt And he went to Moses and told him that he was going to send him to Egypt to rescue the people. And Moses first said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people out of Egypt? And God said, don't worry, I'll be with you. You'll be fine. And then Moses said, well, what if they say, what is his name? Then what do I tell him? And God said, you tell them that I am sent me that I'm the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we're going to pick up at that point in verse 16 today. Let's go ahead and read. It says, So go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and all the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all of my wonders, which I will do in their midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, for articles of silver, gold, and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. So God reassured Moses that the people would listen to him, but he warned him that Pharaoh would not. 
God was going to have to compel him with mighty wonders before he would let them go at all. And it would end up that they not only would go to sacrifice to their gods, but they would not return back there because it's going to be such a battle. But what I want to focus on before we move on is this part where it says, I will give the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians and they will plunder the Egyptians. And so God is going to cause the Egyptians to favor them and give them gold and silver and clothes so that they can leave with everything that they need in order to start their own nation. And once they're out of Egypt, then God will lead them into the promised land that he had promised to their fathers, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. So if God can cause the Egyptians to favor the Israelites, then can God cause other people to favor us? I would just encourage you today, if you have someone in your life that you struggle with, then pray that the Lord will grant you favor with them. You know, it may mean that God just works to change your heart or your actions so that you look more favorable to others, or he may work in their hearts to change their thoughts about you, their feelings about you. But either way, this verse tells me that he can do that. And so that would be something for us to pray for because God desires for us to love each other and to have peace with one another, to be unified and reconciled. Let's go ahead and read the first nine verses of chapter four. It says, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose that they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said, What is that in your hand? And Moses said, A rod. And God said, Cast it on the ground. And so he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And as he reached out his hand and caught it, it became a rod in his hand. This is so that they may believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand in your bosom again. And so he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the second. But it shall be, if they do not believe either of these two signs or listen to your voice, that you should take water from the river, pour it on dry land, And the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. So Moses is really not asking anymore. He's telling God that he does not think that they're going to believe him or listen to him. And the problem is, is God just told him. God just said, they will listen to you. Tell them all these things and they will listen to you. So Moses is the one that wasn't listening. He keeps saying, what if they don't listen to me? Moses is not listening to God because God just told him they will listen to you. But God is so patient with him and he gives him three separate miracles that he can perform. And if they don't believe the first, then he can do the second. If they don't believe the second, then he can do the third. And God said that he will believe him. The first miracle is to throw down his staff and it'll turn into a serpent And then he can reach down and grab it by the tail and it'll return back to a rod. The second is he's supposed to put his hand inside of his cloak 
And when he takes it out, it's going to be leprous. And then when he puts it back in, it returns back to normal. And then if they don't believe either of those signs, then he's supposed to take a bucket of water, pour it on the land. And when he pours it out on the land, it's going to become blood. Now, before we move on to Moses's next excuse, I want to review all of them from the beginning whenever God told him that he was going to send him. In verse 10 of chapter 3, God says, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then verse 11, it says, Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children out of Egypt? And so it seems like he's just professing his humility, right? He's just saying, God, I'm really not worthy to do that. You know, I'm not an important Egyptian that they're going to listen to me. And I didn't experience all the affliction with the Hebrews. And so they're not going to listen to me. I just don't think I'm the right man for the job, right? But then God reassured him and he told him he would be with him. And he even reassured him that the deliverance would be successful. And he would know that because he was going to come back to that same mountain and serve God there. But Moses is not satisfied with that. And so at that point, he's like, you know, God, maybe you don't understand why I thought that Hebrews wouldn't listen to me. You see, I was raised by Egyptians and the Hebrews didn't want my help before. So there's no way they're going to believe that I'm coming now to help them because their God sent me. I wasn't raised in their traditions and they probably don't even believe that I know you. That's what he was saying when he says, what if they ask what your name is? It's like, they probably don't even believe that I know who you are. And then God told him exactly what to say. And then he explicitly said, they will listen. Tell them all this and they will listen to you. And then Moses just says, but they won't. They won't believe me. They won't listen to me. They'll say that their God didn't appear to me. That's what's going to happen. And at this point, I think if I was God, I would be like, "Um, I'm God. You're not. I just told you they're going to listen to you and that you were going to bring them out. You're not smarter than me, so you just need to do what I say, right? I mean, this is getting old. I already told you what was going to happen. But God has so much grace for Moses, and he wants Moses to be confident. You know, that's the thing about God is that he really cares about our feelings. He cares about our fears and our worries, and he's trying to give Moses confidence. And so he says, okay, I'll tell you what. You'll feel more confident if you know that you have some sort of miracle that you can perform to them. It'll make you feel better to know that you're going in there with a little bit of power and not just words. And so he gives him three miracles that he can perform so that he will feel confident that when the people see those miracles, then they'll believe him. And so that brings us to his next excuse. Let's go ahead and read beginning in verse 10, and we're going to read all the way to verse 17. So then Moses says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go. And I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall say. But Moses says, O Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else that you may send. And so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? 
I know that he can speak well. And look, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be the mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do these signs. So Moses continues to protest, right? Now he's saying, God, I'm just not a good speaker. I mean, really, this is just not my thing. I'm not a talker. I'm a doer. I act on the spot, right? When I saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew, then I took action. It might have been the wrong one, but that's at least my instinct. When I saw the women that were being bullied by those men at the well, I pushed back. But convincing people with my words, mm, that's just not my thing. Look what happened when I tried to reason with the two Hebrews that were fighting. They rejected my help then, and I know they're going to do the same thing again. There's just no point in me going. I'm not the right person for this job. That's what he's saying, right? And so I want to talk a little bit about this excuse. The literal meaning of what Moses is saying is that he's not a man of words. It literally means I am heavy of mouth and tongue. And so some people say that this means he has a stuttering problem, like he actually can't talk well. And I guess that could be because often a stutter comes whenever your mouth is slower than your brain. You know, you have something to say, but you can't get it out of your mouth. And so you stutter. But it's also possible that he just still feels inadequate, you know, because he was schooled by the Egyptians. And so he knew that being well-spoken was very important to them. And he probably just felt like he never excelled in that area. And he assumed that they were going to think that he wasn't worth listening to because he just wasn't good at speech. He may have just been afraid that he was too slow in finding the right words to say because God later says, you know, I'll teach your mouth what to say. So he may have just thought, I'm not quick on my feet. You know, people say things and I'm not going to know what to say back to them. And God's like, I'll teach you what to say. That's not a concern. I don't know. Either way, Moses doesn't think that this is something that he should be doing, but God continues to refute it. And we'll talk about what God says in a minute about how God made his mouth and all of that. But I want to move on to the fact that after God continues to have an answer for all of his questions, the truth really comes out, right? At this point, Moses is just like, okay, I just don't want to go. Send somebody else, please. I mean, I don't want to do it. He may have felt the desire to interject himself into their lives and seek justice and all of that years ago, but he's been a shepherd for 40 years. And so at this point, he may be lacking that quiet, peaceful life. And he doesn't really want to go back into the drama. That's what it seems like to me. And this is when God's patience fades, right? He's done having the conversation. And he says, Aaron is on his way to see you. He can talk well. I'll tell you what to say, and then you can tell him what to say, and he can speak for you. I'm going to guide both of you. We're not going to talk about this anymore. That's the way it's going to be. Now, I do think it's interesting that Aaron is coming to see him because we know that Moses knew by the time he was an adult that he was one of the Hebrews. But I had no idea that he actually knew his family, right? He knows Aaron and knows that he's his brother. And not only that, but they've been apparently keeping in touch as brothers. 
because Aaron is on his way to see him right now. So that's just a little bit of interesting information that he not only knew that he was a Hebrew, he knew his family. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time on this verse where he says, who made man's mouth? And who makes the man mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Have not I the Lord done this? Now go and I'll be with you and your mouth and I'll teach you what to say. And then even whenever Moses says, can you not just send someone else? So why would God choose Moses to carry out this grand plan whenever Moses doesn't want to go? He doesn't think he's equipped to do it. Was there not somebody else that he could just send, somebody that wanted to do it that would be just as good? We'll talk a little further about that later, but the short answer is yes, God could have sent someone else, but he didn't want to. It's clear that God created him for this purpose, even if Moses didn't realize that. We can see that because Stephen tells us in Acts that when he was born, he was beautiful in God's sight. And that his parents recognized that and saved his life. So we know from the beginning that God intended him to be the one that delivered the people from the very start, even if Moses isn't aware of that. And then also remember that his name means to draw out. And Pharaoh's daughter named him that because she drew him out of the river. But he's also intended to draw out the people from Egypt. His name has another meaning. Again, rather they understood that or not. And then also think about the natural desire for justice that Moses had. I mean, he did have a innate desire to set things right. And God's giving him that chance to do that now. And so these are not coincidences. And God has intended this purpose for Moses all along. So could he have gotten someone else? Yes, but that's not what he wanted. He wanted Moses and he doesn't really take no for an answer. He answers his questions, lets him, you know, talk and think things out. And then finally he's like, no, you're the one. So I just want us to think a minute because I think we do this. I think that oftentimes we think, God, I'm not the one. You don't want me for that. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. Or, you know, I really just don't want to get involved or whatever. So I think that his answer to Moses can help us too, because we need to think about these things. You know, who did create us? God created Adam and Eve, but did he really create each and every one of us individually? Like, is he involved in our creation? And if he did make our mouth and our ears and our eyes, then does that mean he also created our brain, our personality, our strengths, our weaknesses? What I'm asking is, he really involved in every single detail of our being, or does he just set things in motion and let nature take its course? Did he create us with purpose and intention, or is everything just by chance? We get our parents' DNA and we're born how we are and our life just goes on by chance. And then when he calls us, does he know our strengths and weaknesses? And does he take only our strengths into consideration or can he use our weaknesses? So I just want to tell you that God is the author and creator of all things. And he is involved with his creation. And we're going to talk about several verses that definitely tell us that that's the case. But you know, some people, 
he makes their eyes to be very observant and other people see with their hearts, you know, they're perceptive. Some people are book smart and other people need you to show them. Some people are fast. Some people have endurance. Some people have strong bodies and other people have strong emotions, mental capacity, things like that. Some people lead with boldness and then others follow God so well that everybody around them learns how to imitate God. He makes us all different and he does that for a reason. So rest assured that he knows the people that he calls and he knows why he calls us. And not only does he know us, but he can equip us. He has the power to carry out his plans at the perfect time in the perfect way with his perfectly created people, right? We are perfectly created for the thing that he calls us to do. So I want you to listen to several verses. The first few are going to tell us specific people that God called and pay attention to how we know that God created them for that purpose and knew who he called. This is in Esther 4, 10 through 16. And there's been a decree for the king of Persia to kill all of the Jews. And Esther is a Jew, but nobody knows it. And her uncle has found this out and sends word to her. Just listen to this. It says, Esther spoke to Hathok and gave him a command for Mordecai. Mordecai is her uncle. And so she's speaking to a messenger and she says, tell my uncle this. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman that goes into the inner court to the king that hasn't been called, there is only one law about that, that he be put to death unless the one that the king holds out the golden scepter to, that person is the only person that can live. Yet I myself have not been called to go to the king in these last 30 days. And so they went and they told Mordecai what Esther said. And listen to verse 13. This is Mordecai's reply to his niece. Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than any of the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Susa, and fast for me. Neither eat or drink for three days and three nights. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, then I perish. So basically Esther says the same thing as Moses, like, I can't do this. And her uncle says, you know, if you don't do it, then God will raise someone else up. His plan will be fulfilled, but don't think that you're going to be spared if you choose not to do anything about it. And, you know, maybe that would have been the same thing with Moses. Maybe God could have chosen someone else, but God knew the people he was choosing. And what a blessing because both of these people get to be counted as ones that saved God's chosen nation. If they would have refused, then they would not have gotten the blessing that God had for them. Mordecai told Esther, you don't know that this isn't your entire purpose, that you're not queen of Persia at this time for this exact purpose. And I think that that is completely accurate. 
I think that God created Esther from the beginning to do this because he knew her personality. He knew her abilities and she was the one that he chose. Now listen to Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10. This is what God says to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah says, Oh Lord, behold, I can't speak because I'm a youth. And the Lord said to me, Don't say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of their faces. I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and pull down and destroy and throw down and build and to plant. So God knew the purpose that he had for Jeremiah before he even formed him in his mother's womb. And you know, Jeremiah thought he was too young, but God knew how old he was and God equipped him with the words and told him that he would be with him knowing how young he was. It was God's timing. God wanted him to do it at this moment. And he equipped him to do it. He equipped him to do what God created him to do in the beginning, which was be his prophet. That was God's purpose for him before he even formed him in his mother's womb, it says. David knows the same thing, King David. Listen to Psalm 139, 1 through 18. This is David talking to God and he says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my laying down and you're acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know. So David knows that God knows him. God knows everything about him. Not only does God know about him, he understands him completely. He knows everything he says. He knows everything he does. And then skip down to verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows full well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, then they would number more than the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. So it says that God formed his inward parts and covered him in his mother's womb. He was fearfully and wonderfully made by God. God skillfully made him, it says. And he knew his purpose for David before David was ever created. David was so special to God. He says he couldn't even count all of the things that God thinks towards him. And that's the same thing for us. God knows us. He understands us. He knows everything we do and say. He is the one that made us. And this says he is detailed because he makes us skillfully. And if he knows our days before they ever even come, then that means he knows his purposes for us. 
We are created with a purpose and intent. It's not by accident. It's not by happenstance. Listen to 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. This is Paul talking, and he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's enabled me. That tells you God equips us to do the things he calls us for. Because he counted me faithful, and he put me in the ministry. So he called him to be in the ministry, and then he equipped him to minister. It says, he did all this, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. He obtained mercy because he did all of that in ignorance and in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So God called Paul in spite of the fact that he was a blasphemer and a persecutor of Christians. Because he knew that Paul didn't know what he was doing. And so God had grace on him and loved him and enabled him to do what he called him to do. God knew Paul's weaknesses. And not only did he call him in spite of his weaknesses, but maybe even because of his weaknesses. Listen to 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. This is Paul again, and he says, Lest I should become exalted above all measure by the abundance of the revelation that God has given me, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I become exalted above all measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weaknesses. Therefore, I... Paul gladly will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, my reproaches, my needs, my persecutions, my distress for Christ's sake, because when I am weak, then I am strong. So if we recognize our weaknesses, that's fine. It doesn't mean that we're not equipped to do it or capable of doing it. It just means that we have to depend on God. Because God is strong when we're weak. He can do all the things that we cannot do. And that's why he told Moses, hey, I made your mouth. I can teach it what to say. I don't want you to speak of your own accord. I want you to rely on me. Sometimes God gives those weaknesses to us so that we will rely on him. Whoever God calls, he knows and he wants us to do what he's called us to do. Listen to Romans eleven twenty nine. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He's created us with that intent. And then Romans 12, 3 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 31, and Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 all tell us that we were all created differently for a purpose. God creates us purposefully different because he wants us all to use each one of our gifts to work in perfect harmony for his kingdom. 
If everybody talks about the body and if every part of the body was a hand, then we wouldn't have a foot. And if every part was a foot, we wouldn't have an eye. God wants us different and he created us different with a purpose so that we could use that gift, whatever it may be, for his glory. Working together as a team with other believers to do the things that he created us to do for his kingdom and his glory. To build other believers up, to encourage them, to help them, to work with them. He equips every single one of us to do whatever he calls us to do. Those verses list things like being preachers or teachers or just having wisdom or knowledge or faith. Whatever gifts God has given us, he gave those to us purposefully with intent of us using them for him. Listen to Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I've created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I made him. God made each and every one of us and calls each and every one of us according to how he made us. And then Matthew 5, 3 through 10. This is the Beatitudes where God says, you know, blessed are those that are meek because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those that are merciful, that they may obtain mercy. So it shows that God has created some people to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, to be peacemakers, to be pure at heart. And so we can all exhibit these characteristics and we can grow in them. But some of us are born naturally more inclined to these things, just like Moses was born more inclined to justice. And God has created us each with specific inclinations, personalities, and we're to use those things for his glory. He'll call us according to how he made us, what he created us to do. Each and every one of us are created for a purpose. And so when God calls us, we don't want to be like Moses and Esther in the way that they said, oh, no, I can't do this. We want to do what God asks us to do because we will receive the blessings of that calling whenever we obey the Lord. And so I just hope that this encourages you today to know that if God's asking you to do something, he knows you. He knows you in all your weaknesses and all your strengths and all your desires and your personality and all of those things. And he created you to be exactly like you are. So there's no reason to think that you can't do whatever he called you to do. If he calls us, then he can equip us to do it. And I also just want to point out that the reason we know who we are is because we know who God is. We know that he is the creator and that he is detailed. He is involved with his creation. He has purpose for giving one gift to this person and one gift to another. He has a power to equip. He has knowledge of who he created us to be. He has purpose. He has intention. And because we know all those things about God, then we can feel confident in ourselves knowing that he made us for our specific calling and he can enable us to do whatever it is he chooses for us to do. God told all these things to Moses to give him confidence. And so it needs to give us confidence too, that God created us. He has purpose for us and he can equip us to do whatever he calls us to do because he not only calls us, he created us for that exact purpose. 
Now, next week, we're going to move on to see what happens whenever they go to Pharaoh and ask if he will let the people go to worship their God. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review. Also, leave comments wherever you're listening. I'd love to know what you think about this study, maybe how God has called you or equipped you or created you specifically for purposes in Him that you know to be true. Ask Him. If you don't know why He created you the way He created you, ask Him. He has a purpose, I assure you. So that's all for today. Make sure you join me next week. Thanks and have a good day. Mm -hmm.